talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome once again to another exciting episode of The Worst Wing, uh, the show where in, I guess the podcast, where in 2020 we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal <laughs> television classic, The West Wing, uh, from a bit more leftist, socialist level perspective. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today's episode is another eerily aligned with modern timeline episode yeah. um, called Hartsfield's Landing, which is the name of the episode is a reference to the fictional New Hampshire town mm-hmm. that um, votes first in the first primary. At so New midnight. Hampshire, right? Yeah, yeah. New Hampshire is the first like primary in this in this case, and this town Hartsfield Landing is the place that like opens its polls first, and you get the first group of people mm-hmm. going. So. Yeah, CJ gives a nice little explanation of it in the opening uh, press conference as a little bit of trivia for the new people. Um, and so Josh is concerned this whole episode with win- making sure they win the vote of this stupid Hartsfield Landing Town because it is all the media will be reporting about for the 21 hours in between midnight and when the real polls close at uh, 9 or 10 p.m. Uh, for actual New Hampshire. So uh, he enlists Donna in this crazy scheme of conver- converting over the two swing voters of this tiny town uh, <laughs> named the Flenders. Um, Donna immediately accuses Josh of how does he know about the way the Flenders are voting. Josh says that the Flenders girl emails him because she has a little crush on him. Donna accuses Josh of sleeping with the Flender girl. Josh pointedly does not deny said accusation, but merely deflects it away with uh, humor. I want that noted for the record. Uh, but then he enlists Donna in this scheme to like send her outside on a cell phone because you can't electioneer on government property <laughs> and like all these fucking lib decorum rule following bullshit that makes Donna go out in the cold in fucking February in goddamn DC. Yeah, and I mean, it's the, it's a voting population of what I don't do. They even say sixty five uh, yeah. is the population of the city. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, probably 15 of them show up to vote. Right. And so two voters is a huge swing. Uh, and he wants to make sure that they win. This isn't even the primary anymore, right? Is this actual New Hampshire? Or is this is still the primary, I guess, right? Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's in, if it's in February. Uh, yeah. yeah. But he's saying that they want to beat Richie, which is weird. Because mm-hmm. should, like, he, I guess he means in... In the, uh, f- like, he wants to beat Richie's total in Richie's primary? Like, uh, it feels a little apples and oranges. Yeah. Um, like, shouldn't he be caring about beating, I don't know, whoever Bartlett's hypothetical primary challenger is? Yeah, and I don't... And I mean, I literally, in looking this up, it just says, Richie is assumed to be the only official, or to be the official Republican nominee after the episode, Hartsfield Landing which is the only episode showing any actual primary activity. So I don't hmm. know 
who they're voting yeah against. i i think this might be a kind of a writing screw up here screw up yeah but and they just really wanted to focus on like oh but we know about this tiny town trivia thing and let's really dial in on it i do want to point out for the record that in actual reality the the real life version of this that happened in 2020 uh amy klobuchar won the <laughs> tiny town that votes at midnight uh and it mattered fuck all as bernie won the entire state yes quite handily yes uh, as he's about to continue doing. But we'll get into yeah. that when we get into our election update. So meanwhile, the other main thing going on this episode is some fucking geopolitics. Geopolitics is and Orientalism. Yay! Woo! So Taiwan and China are having a whole situation going on where Taiwan's got some rockets and they're aiming them toward China and they're China's doing like fleet exercises as a show of strength. There's a real big tensions going on and we find out throughout the episode that the cause of this is that Taiwan is trying to do a, its first quote unquote free election. Yeah, and I mean for people who don't know Taiwan is where the non-communist actors ended up and basically the, the central conflict is that uh, the CCP and mainland China considers Taiwan part of China to be part of China. Part and of you'll one hear China. that. Yeah, you, you'll hear that referenced occasionally. Um, and so, you know, they're always at each other's throats. And frankly, in 2020, they're still like at each other's throats. Right. So. And so I don't want to dig into it all. It's all overly complicated and the, the the long and short of it is that the president does geopolitics so well so as to avert the whole crisis make everyone happy and come out of this with like a big old win at the end uh throughout the episode our third subplot then involves chess and uh bartlett playing two chess games one with sam one with toby uh the sam one becomes sort of a metaphor for this whole geopolitical situation uh, as well as Sam's uh, future presidential ambitions. And the Toby one sort of is the three-parter of our arc of Bartlett and his daddy issues. That sort of sparked off with the first episode where him and Toby fought, and then went into the insomnia therapy episode that we just talked about last week, and is now sort of concluding with this chess match between him and Toby, where they sort of reconcile, finally. Yeah, and I mean... They use the, I mean, the the obvious um, parallel is that, you know, you have to conduct these geopolitical maneuvers like you are playing a game of chess to achieve the outcome you desire. Right. Bartlett keeps returning to the phrase, look at the whole board, you know. Yeah. Make sure you're seeing everything that's happening. Yeah. And I mean, again, but between the two games, you get a lot of interaction between Sam and Toby. And if it sounds like we're sort of like digging in this plot summary thing and we're not going into a lot of details, it's because we say this a lot, but not a lot actually happens in this episode. Right. Like literally almost nothing happens. Um, it is it is, it is very much a day in the life kind of episode, which sometimes those can be good. But in this one in particular feels bad. And I'll get into that more when I will talk about the narrative flaws of this episode in, a, yeah. in another segment. But uh, the, the last thing that we have kind of running through the episode, other than the China stuff and the Josh and Donna manipulating voters <laughs> in Hartsfield Landing stuff, is that CJ and Charlie... 
oh, are right. having a spat where um, CJ wants to have more access and more, I guess, she not wa- access. She but- needs the president's private schedule. And uh, Charlie is getting concerned because the last time he loaned it out, uh, it got leaked to the press pool. Mm -hmm. And so he's being super anal about like, you know, you have to sign it out. I need to track where it is. Uh, And then she loses it again. And so they have sort of an escalating prank war go on that's very light and funny and would be fine on like The Office or any other like sitcom that you could watch on television. Basically, it feels like it's from another show entirely, essentially. Yeah, and it it stands directly apart from all this other stuff because even the precipitating issue of this kind of, you know, friendly workplace prank war or yeah. whatever is is not at all related to anything that's happening. It's just I need his private schedule. Right. I want to put something like It's just a supervisor request. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and they they utilize it, I guess. Sorkin utilizes it as a way to inject some levity it it could have been anything you know (laughs) yeah it's you know it's fine for what it is both actors are clearly having fun with it and uh i enjoy that it's the only enjoyable bit of this episode which is really all why it's noteworthy at all i think yeah (laughs) and it's it's um it's interesting and i think it's actually pretty good and there's a potential juxtaposition here of like these these people who are the token characters, frankly, are, you know, being put out there as they like they're using specifically CJ and Charlie, mm-hmm. who have probably, you know, the least power of these people mm-hmm. to like be not God, I was gonna say the minstrels of the episode. It's, <laughs> it's not it's not that bad. No. But it is very much just a like, hey, we've got these people who will in the actual issues of the episode that we address will not be able to do anything. Right, like, yeah, nothing... CJ can't help out on China, nor can yeah. Charlie, that kind of thing. I get what you're saying. And so yeah. I'm trying to figure out if that is, if it's good that they utilize them to fill some I, time? I think so. I, I would rather see them than not see them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, you know, just from a narrative perspective, I think it's, you know, that we sort of check in with our core crew of characters every episode, unless it's, like, specifically a themed episode of, like, oh, this is a CJ episode, or this is a Toby episode, or what have you. Yeah, and they kind of just run the gamut. And because, frankly, again, and we mentioned this earlier, it's just almost nothing happens, and... I guess filling the time, like putting the minutes into the episode almost necessitated being like, well, let's, um, let's go around the corner and check on what CJ and Charlie are up to. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Like, uh, we even get like Ed and Larry, like they bring in a lot of, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff to fill time here. Yeah. And speaking of filling time, we're going to stop doing that. (laughs) We're going to do a brief next segment about the sort of like the actual political issues and then we're going to do an election update. So let's take a brief break here and get right back. I could pretend nothing really meant to 
and we're back. So, chess is a central metaphor in this episode. I'm sure many of our listeners are probably chess nerds of one type or another, or at least have played the game or are familiar enough. Chess is a great game. I love chess. I haven't played it in a while. I used to play it a lot. Uh, I was in middle school chess club, that sort of thing. Chess is great. I love chess, and I love people who love chess, and chess enthusiasts are nice people, etc., etc. I say all this so that I could say I hate how chess is used in media <laughs> as a visual me- a shorthand for this person is smart. Uh, if you are good at chess, all that is does is means is that you're good at chess uh, and nothing more. Uh, there you are dumb people who are good at chess. There are smart people who are good at chess. Uh, it's not, yeah, the, the act of playing chess is visual shorthand on, on media for just this person is a genius. Yeah. It's somewhat, and and they really go whole hog with it, like full tropes level with Bartlett where he can like memorize the board, uh, and all the pieces on it, where he quotes crazy uh, opening gambits the second anyone touches a piece, you know, like he he they go full out with it. Yeah, it's um, and again, I have utmost respect for the game of chess. I grew up playing chess with my dad. Um, you know, I was never in chess club, but like one of my best friends was a you know got master ranked or whatever in middle school. And look, chess is fine. It is a game like any other. It's a game of you know, theoretically of deep strategy and yes. a lot of um, not necessarily algorithms, but uh, heuristics that you work through and have to work through as the game evolves. But that's that's what you're doing. You know, when right. you are when you are anticipating moves, when you are, you know, making out a strategy based on your opponent's motions, you're working through heuristics and, you know, putting out a logical set of responses and i think you're absolutely spot on where it's just like this has been in this episode and frankly honestly sort of to put a modern twist on this like in society today that is conflated with intelligence like that 100%. is 100 it is the nerd the more thing. nuanced take of it is like okay more specifically it is the ability to be a few moves ahead and not just smart in general so that, look, I'll give, you know, sometimes there's that side of it, but just in general, you know, like in the X-Men movies, Professor X plays chess with Magneto. Why? They're both smart. Like, you know, it's just like, it's that simple. Well, And, it, and like, and all the metaphors of pawns and the great visual metaphor of someone knocking over their own king in resignation and you can zoom in on it and make it super like <laughs> slow-mo and dramatic. It, it is very like... It is a perfect sort of visual, uh, like a oh, it's a, fantastic. A, a cast of metaphors that are used in a visual medium like this. It's fantastic for that. So I understand why it's used. I just think this is a very inartful and inelegant method of doing it. It's very just sort of blatant and out there of like, ah, these smart men. What do they do? <laughs> they play. They play the smart man game. Well, yeah, and it's and, and they, it helps them be smart. You, you can see him like being like, "Oh, well, you know, I also smoke fine cigars and drink a fine <laughs> whiskey and sit in the finest of leather chairs." It's another another stereotype of masculinity and power. It's a bit of a class signifier as yes, well. Yes, exactly. Too. Like you know, poor people play checkers. You know. Yeah, checkers and dominoes. Like <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, the to be fair, plenty of poor people play chess as well. 
yes. Yeah, I mean, you walk around New York City. It's one of the things yeah. that's famous in New York City. It's just people the public, public hustling chessboards. Chess yeah. But yeah. the the use of it um, in this context, I would be okay with it. But then Sorkin comes around and like writes it like a hammer blow into the words that the president says. Right. You can't just be sitting there and being like, oh, I get it because, you know, they're playing chess because we want to see the whole board. It's like you have him speaking out loud. <laughs> he says that verbatim at least three times. Jeez. <laughs> like, Come on. Like, hit me over the head more, you asshole. It, I mean, you know, if you, you think he's like, you know, oh, these network TV dummies, they won't get it unless I hammer them over the head. Uh, yeah. I, I get that feeling. And, you know, I mean, we, we have a show or you and I conduct conversations that are critiques of this media. So clearly we are not your average consumer sure. of the show, but still give me a break, man. Like, yeah, give your give audience the, some credit. Like, uh, it's like, did it have to be two games? I think one, the one with Toby could have done a better job. Cause I think that's, that's better because it lets them be more like intimate in a yes. way. Like, like men, men can talk to each other. And, you know, when they're, like, you know, playing chess because, like, it's distracting them enough to, like, let them open emotionally or something like that. I feel like that's kind of what they're going for with the with the Bartlett-Toby game, whereas the Bartlett-Sam game is a lot more of the chess as metaphor for smirt. Yeah, well, and um, I think, the, like, the shared vulnerability is theoretically mm-hmm. on, on a chessboard, if you, if you close out the rest of the world, you know, both, both players are technically mm-hmm. on an even field. And mm-hmm. so in kind of working that into the masculinity thing, it's like, yeah, you know, because this is, it's a game of minds and, you know, right. not of traditional power, not also, of white You maleness. can also tell he treats Toby more uh, deferentially when it comes to chess knowledge. Yes. Whereas Sam, Sam's more of an amateur. So I think he has a little bit more respect for Toby's game, as it were. And that probably helps them as well. Yeah, so it's like a it's like a twenty five percent good metaphor here, like seventy five percent ham handed. Half credit, you know, <laughs> D D minus. See me after class, you know. We can we can tighten this up, Sorkin. Cut out cut out ninety percent. Yeah, the other sort of very and I'll I'll deploy the word again. The tropish thing in the episode is the utterly, um, just desperate orientalism involved with the chinese people again and i oh, yeah. checked the uh, james hong is the yes. chinese ambassador and he still he was is in the chinese ambassador yep he right. was in I, season I one i saw in your notes he was in the lord john marbury episode so that's cool uh credit were for consistency because i love continuity on on a show like this to bring back the same ambassador um yeah, so that's great. So, the, yeah, they sit down and talk with him, and there's a lot of just, like... And even Bartlett at the end, I think, says the word save face uh, and stuff like that. It's just... There's a lot of, like, paternal sort of attitudes towards Asia and China and the East and, like, oh, America has to come in and settle all of this. Well, yeah, and the... <clears throat> The reduction of the interaction to a chess match in which we are conducting feints or not actually right. doing 
these actions right. is somewhat paternalistic in itself. And that is what happens in the episode, to go into detail for people who aren't watching. Like, they do this thing where they deploy a fleet somewhere, and it makes China panic, and, like, call off their fleet, and so then Taiwan doesn't have to fire the rockets or whatever, or only fires one rocket, and can do its free election. Basically, you know, Bartlett chested out good enough that he invented, he averted some sort of international catastrophe by uh, flexing U.S. military power, essentially. Yeah, and, and look, I get it. Like, that's actually how these things sometimes work out, where it's mm-hmm. just, you know, you just need to make make the right gestures and go along with the kabuki. But the way it's presented in the episode, though, is that's where it gets really into the whole, you know, you get a lot of characters just sort of like expressing worrying concerns about like we can't possibly know what they what they might be up to you know yeah. them the inscrutable ones like <laughs> yeah. it's uh yeah. and i mean i don't i don't even want to get as you mentioned we shouldn't even get it too far into the china stuff no fucking not. shit about china and we've received criticism in the past for calling out the uyghur genocide but let's be clear they're fucking genociding uyghurs um and but it does. You don't even need to, which is actually you what don't I like. Have to. Which is what I like yeah. about this episode, where it's like it doesn't fucking matter. Like China could it be could inventing. Be any, it could be any yeah. country. Yeah. <laughs> or like China it's, could be inventing a new type of gumball that's going to destabilize right. then, the gumball market. Oh God! What uh, they, they get into this thing at the end where Sam starts talking about how like if China gets the Aegis radar technology or whatever, and like you know we're not going to sell these Aegis radar battleships to Taiwan for ten years. Because, oh, what if China gets the technology? Like, China's not just, like, stealing all our goddamn technology and, like, IP and yeah. and everything. Like, well, they don't, they don't have their it own, all feels very dated. Like, they don't have their own incredibly intelligent Like, they're not the driven. ones, like, making yeah. the goddamn Aegis radar and shipping it over to us. Like, Yeah, no shit. And it's just like, oh, okay, Sam, so we your concern is that we send them the ships that dissolve when they hit saltwater? We send them the F-35s that can't fly in the rain? Like, what's the worst outcome? So, And then this whole thing ends on the button of uh, when when the president and Sam are having, wrapping up their chess match, and the president is talking about how this whole thing, situation with China shook out as as it's coming to a close. He says uh, something along the lines of, Sam, you're going to run for president one day. Don't be scared. Uh, and this is the line that launched like a thousand West Wing fanfics of <laughs> of Sam becoming president after Bartlett. Here, people, which just... then the own the show would then go on to uh, uh, decanonize. <laughs> Furiously masturbating over the Sam Seaborn presidency. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's I mean that's about it for the actual like political content of the episode. We did mention that um, the Flenders. The, the yeah. stupid, sexy Flenders. Let's, back in. Are... Let's go back to the Flenders for a second, because there's a couple things I, I need to circle back to. Yeah, uh, I like that. So in the process of trying to win over this couple from the fucking Dixville Knots farm or whatever uh, town, the, uh, they keep trying to hold Josh's feet to the fire on basically backing down on all these, like, democratic issues like a stupid lib would. Uh, so, like, they're like, he's like, tell them we're for affordable health care, and Donna fires back with, what good is affordable when you lose your job at the pulp mill? Yeah, like, if it's still tied to your job, 
who cares how affordable it is? And then they get into a thing about like uh, they're they're concerned that you want to pri- that Bartlett wants to privatize Social Security, and he's like he's not going to privatize Social Security. We just have to tell Congress we want to keep an open mind on it. And it's like it's all this like lib equivocating is <sighs> turning out to hurt them with voters who no longer trust them because they're shitty worthless libs. <laughs> yeah, twenty years ago, this was still the or, writing like, this was, was on the wall. Yeah, you can see even even like subverting the intent of the writing. It's like, well, you got it, but you took the exact opposite lesson from it, you asshole. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell? Yeah, and so then that whole thing wraps up with like, oh, isn't democracy beautiful? And shouldn't they just be allowed to vote how they want? And like uh, a bunch of like lib jerk off bullshit where like CJ gives this big speech about like, isn't it cute that this town is 65, gets up at midnight and goes out and votes and I don't even care who they vote for. <laughs> so this is something that I'm going to hoot and holler about in the next <laughs> segment because I actually, you you reminded me of the... One of the fundamental like things that I really dislike about this particular election cycle. So we can put movie trivia in next time around. I just want to say that James Hong, the Chinese ambassador, was Lo Pan in Big Trouble in Little China, which is probably the best campy action movie to feature Kurt Russell in the entire world. Everybody should see Big Trouble in Little China. It's fucking hilarious. Um, and then also we need Adam Arkin to come back because oh, right. like he's, yeah, president needs a lot more, president therapy. needs a lot more therapy. <laughs> Stat. And, he's still like in the middle of his chess game with Toby, you know, Toby says like, ah, your father was an idiot. He's like, can we, oh, can we, oh my God, can we please talk about my father with some respect, Toby? Uh, like, he just like, yeah, he just... like has like a fucking conniption fit over like Toby saying that his father was dumb. We need yeah. the therapist back in here, stat. Yeah, like, immediately. <laughs> Emergency <laughs> sessions, please. <laughs> All right, so that's okay. that's about it for the actual television this time around. Like I said, almost nothing happens. It was one of the worst offenders in that regard. So we'll take a little bit of time here to actually talk about what's going on in the real-life Dixville Notch slash election circumstance. Huzzah! <laughs> So in lieu of talking about the very sparse material this week, we'll go into a little bit of uh, election chat because, number one, Bernie's going to win. Hooray! Um, (laughs) So we had, this is actually, we're recording this on February 20th. It's the day after the most recent debate between, like, in two days on Saturday, the Nevada caucus is happening. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is currently happening as well with early voting. Mm, um, true. And we yep. have already seen record early voting turnout, which is, of course, uh, great news for Bernie. And uh, just I think the staggering size of this victory is actually going to shock people. 
Uh, Sp- particularly when we see his numbers with Hispanic voters. The only, like, and again, I have, I've literally just got a text from um, an Iowa volunteer friend the other day where she went to early vote in Texas and her registration was fucked up. They had changed her birthday mm. and used it as like an excuse it, to there try will to be a non-zero like, number of these stories coming up. I encourage you to not try to extrapolate and assume it means every single voter is being fucked with. Like I, I find that most of these are, are generally one-offs and affect a very small percentage of the overall voting population. So, in the interest of not fear-mongering, I will agree with you, but in the interest of being a person who lived in of New course, York obviously during the check Democratic your primary... <laughs> obviously, check your registration and all that. Like, I'm not saying not to, but I'm saying, you know, don't get too freaked out over, you know... New Hampshire was the first test for them if they really wanted to, like, fucking... And they did try yes. to suppress the vote by making college kids, like, have a car or whatever that stupid rule was. Mm-hmm. Um and they tried that anyway, and they still didn't win. So I think overall, I think it happens, but the Bernie turnout is overpowering the small effect of the uh, of voter suppression. Yeah, I would I would agree, and that that's why relying on a strategy like that is is kind of it works on both the front end and the back end, where right. it's like it overwhelms the capacity to fuck with it administratively, right. but it also ensures transparently. Yeah, it it also ensures the fact that regardless of what you do. There are just too many people. <laughs> right. To, for you to, yeah. So, to completely shut out. So Nevada's looking very, very solid. Uh, the debate was very, very entertaining. Uh, Bloomberg's decision to yes. debate is uh, looking Jebian <laughs> in its level of, uh, mis- yeah. of mess, waste, big fat mistake. <laughs> And, like, I'm just so excited to see, like, the Jeb X-10 yeah, of, of this particular election cycle. X gajillion dollars and still getting uh, three or less delegates. Uh, we'll see if he can clear the Jeb line. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm well, very hopeful. The, the thing that's with Bloomberg, and we've hinted at this before, is that the only... And I will, I will actually put this into a Bread and Roses post at one point, but the network that has somehow facilitated Michael Bloomberg into becoming a potential presidential nominee. It's people are sort of up in arms about the fact that he's purchasing the vote, but that is like, that's like 60% of it because he's, he's absolutely doing that. But what he has been doing for the last eight, 10 years has been an extension of that. He has been purchasing politicians right purchasing loyalty via frankly the every town for gun safety network and his other nonprofit mm-hmm. work has been spooling out this network particularly mm-hmm. which is why when you see politicians on his payroll yep and it's why when you see these announcements it's usually mayors yep because Small the original town, cheap mayors that are easy to buy off well the original group was formed by him when he was mayor of new york and he was like look mayors are the way to get in at the executive level to Mm. doing these things so he made a concerted effort and they targeted their strategy to mayoral candidates Mm. you know who could flip a district or i guess flip a city for them and that loyalty is now being like put is is being put paid to the Yeah. yeah to the bloomberg campaign yep so that was um, a fun time last night to just see, uh, especially like I got, you know, shouts to finally finding her voice, Liz Warren, Ugh. like shitting all over 
his dumb ass. Yeah, it's fine. Let, <laughs> let Warren have a mini surge because it's just going to steal from Pete and Amy and Biden, hopefully. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's all looking good for Bernie. We honestly want, like, a rotating cast of second-place finishes, ideally. Yes, exactly. While, while Bernie just racks up more and more and more delegates. If he sweeps, like, 13 out of 14 states on Super Tuesday, like, it's game over, and everyone will basically just have to be like, oh, so Bernie won, and he'll win the rest of the delegates, like, post-Super Tuesday. Uh, and then just walk into the convention with, if not a majority, like if he gets like 45%, 48% of the delegates, they're not going to take it from him, folks. Now, if if we got the uh, actual worst case scenario of like he has like 30% and Pete Buttigieg has 29% of the delegates, yeah, then I'd get worried. But I don't think we're heading towards that kind of world, even a little. Well, and that's part of why... Again, the, I think the fight momentum never stops. and the snowball. Yeah, obviously, you know, volunteer and donate like you're 10 points behind, blah, blah, blah. Don't get complacent. It's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that momentum is a real thing. The snowballing, you know, momentum of a winner is absolutely a real thing. And your average Democrat voter likes Bernie. He has high favorability numbers. And they're just going to be like, great, we can pick a nominee. And now we can focus on beating Trump. You know, they're going to want to get this over with very quickly. The, the encouraging thing in terms of like a demographics race is that you see these polls where it'll be, you know, it'll break out like Latino support for Bernie or what's his right. coalition or whatever. And every time they do it, they try to make these point like these points to be like, well, he's vulnerable in this extremely specific demographic. Right. All the other all the other broader demographics are he's better crushing it. every time. Yeah. Like, it's he's, like- <laughs> he's top with black voters now, he's top with white voters now, and he's crushing it with Hispanic voters now. So that like that's essentially the ball game. Like, you know, he's he, the problem is his his biggest demographic weakness is still old voters and well-off voters. But the great thing is because of the centrist clown car, all those older and well-off voters are splitting their votes Amongst all these worthless, no, you know, not going to go nowhere candidates, it's well, you know, I, it's twenty sixteen again. You know, what can, what more can we say? And there was a point I think we made about oh, last week about hunting up, or maybe it was just in Iowa. They kept trying to um, slice up the polling information to find a favorable portrayal of any other candidate, and the one they kept on doing was like, okay, so we're actually going to sample this poll, and the demographic we're going to break out is. 18 to 35 year olds and it's just like whoops they're in the tank for bernie <laughs> what if the next time we report this we change that to 18 to 45 year olds and they were just like whoops they are also in the, in the tank for bernie, for bernie. <laughs> Oops. and they kept pushing the age limit out and i saw a number today where it was like if nationally if you're under the age of 45 it was 54 percent of yep. democratic voters are for support bernie. the burn man yeah and so <laughs> that's all it comes down to if you know youth turnout and when i say youth i mean under 45 people yes holy shit inclusive of you and me yeah yeah inclusive of me you your (laughs) older siblings maybe some of your aunts and uncles even uh you know all of those people are are already basically in the tank for bernie this this chronic heartburn suffering balding 35 year old man is considered the youth yeah yeah <laughs> good good job Stu. you've reclaimed what you've been searching for C- congrats everyone we're all young again <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. so i actually wanted to talk about like this phenomenon where we are starting to see especially given the performance last night 
And I, I actually experienced firsthand, and people will see it happen when they go canvas for stuff, is this, um, this wholesome sort of very, again, very centrist American perspective of like, well, at least you're gonna vote. Like you're participating. So yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And I've gotten this that was... one out canvassing too. Like, just good on you for volunteering and getting out there. Like, yeah, no like, matter who you so you're much. voting for. Well, and I, I feel like this is another. I, a, it's it's distinctly paternalistic because you know who votes every single fucking time is sixty-five year olds right. who have nothing better to do with their time. So it's it's initially a little discriminatory and sort of patronizing if you will but i feel like it came out of and the west wing this episode is a particular example of it just being like there was a huge push in the 90s and 2000s to be like just go vote register to vote and this is like we were talking earlier about rock the vote Mm -hmm. being like this which we will see in an upcoming episode yes we will (laughs) featured quite prominently yeah and it was this initiative to be like well young people don't vote how do we get them to do so? And it, of course, it spiraled out into this fucking consultant-brained, right? Like and the answer was condescending. Never give, the answer was never give them things to vote for. By the way, yeah. it, it was just how can we trick them into voting? Yeah, or like what? Do, and again, the question is like, well, what are the youth like? They like the rock the music. Musicians, they right? like the pop music. Yeah, they they and do the skateboarding. Like. And it's just extremely patronizing. And I think it's, again, the, it's time is, time has not been kind to these thoughts because, yeah. again, your youth is now being defined as being younger than fucking 45. 45 year olds have children in college. Right. Like, we're, we're still <laughs> ranting about millennials, like, you know, that they're the, you know, whereas millennials ha- now have children and are, you know. Yeah. You know, and but they're still killing I, us with the avocado toast. Yes, and they're killing off various industries, not because like they're deeply predatory and we don't have any money, but it's like, oh, those damn millennials, they just, they they just, just don't like spite, anything. They just want to spite their parents. Yeah. And, like, they just don't like anything. That's why they're not buying conflict diamonds with the money they don't have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I can't sell a mortgage to these people because they understand how compound interest works. Well, fuck me. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I just feel like they're, this, this is going to be the last redoubt of the democratic party establishment of being like, well, gosh, guys, like at least you're all participating. Yeah. Um, I, I got a PM from someone the other day that basically just said like, look one way or the other third way isms dead. This election killed it. And I think that's, you know, that's the truth. No matter what the outcome, I think Bernie, you know, Bernie's created the movement. It's going to keep going one way or the other. I think, you know, we're going to win, obviously, and it's going to grow even stronger and bigger and better. But even in the unlikely event of, uh, uh, God forbid, poo-poo, poo-poo, I don't even want to say it, uh, I think the movement keeps going, you know, regardless. Yeah, we actually, I actually talked with my wife last night a little bit about, because she, you know, we, we differ in our choice of candidates, but she was, you know, saying, hey, in, in my perspective, I see you doing exactly what these stereotypes are like refusing to vote for whoever the democratic nominee is and you know you you can easily turn that back around on these people to be like this is this is third a third wayism is dead and at this point 
we are finally, finally seeing this movement that is based on what the politician can do for his, his or her constituency rather mm-hmm. than just, I don't know, it's vote a thing that doors. happens every four years right. and I vote for my team. Right. Like People are beyond that now because we've, A, gotten to the point of material conditions being so bad that they need it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and granted, frankly, we've been at that point for right, but quite people, some time. People are finally, you know, people are waking up to it more and more, essentially. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, it's 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 a completely new ball game, like you said. Yep. Uh, it's just, and frankly, all the news coming back is is good. I guess to sort of put a bow on this, like volunteer, donate. Mm-hmm. Don't ever stop posting. Of like, course. Posting's the least you can do. <laughs> it keeps working. <laughs> it's yeah. the, the fucking Grim Reaper meme. <laughs> like we That's just right. keep we keep adding doors to it, folks. Never stop posting. That's right. And also, but and yes. also get ready to go to Milwaukee. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> absolutely. We need a million goddamn Bernard was, siblings there. <laughs> I was going to say exactly that. I was going to say. If, if you need to float Plus, a barge across Lake Michigan. if you like Red Michigan. Letter Media, we can make it a fucking Red Letter Media tour trip. Uh, I'll, sh- I, I'm certainly down for that. I mean, shit, I'll, I'll take you to all the breweries. Like, I spent a lot of time in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. They um, got cheap beer, folks. You can get <sighs> cheese. Like, we need to start uh, pumping up, like, the Milwaukee tourism industry and, like, start getting them to advertise, like, big group trips to Milwaukee. <laughs> you know, like, we'll rent out a bus, you know, like, that kind of thing. Do the opposite or, like, the, the corollary to that cop t-shirt of, like, getting up early to beat the crowds. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. Being like, show up in Milwaukee to have the time of your life at yeah. the DNC. Just, just a bunch of people all, you know, ensuring democracy happens. <laughs> <laughs> but, and it's funny that you you said the exact same thing I was going to because it's basically just, like, the only question now is which... Like, Bernie Militia, will you be aligned with when we descend upon the convention? Right. Well, I basically, I kind of want to put it to the DNC in this way. We can have two outcomes in Milwaukee. One is the greatest unifying DNC party you've ever done seen, where we have a a great big coronation of Brother Bernard and all his various supporters and surrogates come out, and the bros and siblings and non-gender binaries all have the time of their goddamn lives. Or we can have 1968 version 2 where everyone has a smartphone and is live streaming it to the internet. <laughs> yeah. Which do you want? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is, it is, there are two outcomes. It's he, he becomes a nominee or we destroy the, the party. And, and yep. possibly a sizable portion of the city. The best part is that's kind of win win. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Obviously, I do prefer the easy option because mm-hmm. I'm a coward and I'm lazy and I just want them to just give him the win and just let him go on his nice little old Jewish socialist man way and, and, and win the presidency and whatnot. But, uh, but, you know, I'm perfectly happy with. With either outcome <laughs> yeah and at this point i mean that is to me it's somewhat scary because i am also a huge tremendous coward and i'm afraid of pain but it's like this is where for me personally much like the opportunity i had to go to iowa for two weeks like this is 
this has never happened in my life before where it's like this is actually where the rubber hits the road i was just about to say this is where the rubber meets the road yeah uh, and I think it's going to feel that way for a lot of people. So if there's any sense of uh, convention fuckery afoot, and we'll know, thankfully, they've made it clear that they'll telegraph their their moves, their months, moves. months in advance. <laughs> yeah. So th- thankfully, we'll know well ahead of time and uh, get your travel arrangements made. Start saving some pennies now if you can. I imagine there's going to be tons and tons of various sort of like makeshift uh hey i'm rent you know i've got a suv or a van and i'm going to milwaukee who in my area wants to come along you know look for those kind of people in your area make some local bernie friends you know if you're a part of a bernie volunteer group or something like that i'm sure trips are being organized as we speak yep because if it's anything we're good at it's you know, solidarity so, yeah. and, and community uh, planning and, and giving each other a hand and stuff like that. So th- this is the sort of thing we're built for. This is the sort of thing that a people's movement is designed to do. So this is the es- this is the essence of not me us right here. Uh, Absolutely. So, you get you get on the not me bus and yeah. you go to Milwaukee and then there's a whole bunch of us there uh, <laughs> all to make sure democracy happens. <laughs> that's right. All right. So that's so, enough yeah. rambling, I think. Uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with our next episode, which I'm not even going to bother looking up right now. Um, the Nevada caucus is this Saturday. In theory, we might get results that same day, but based on <laughs> Iowa and uh, what Tom Perez is tweeting, uh, God only knows when we'll get actual results. Thankfully, it's all looking good for Bernie. I think if he takes a big wing there, then he, he's he got a damn good shot at just outright winning South Carolina. And if that happens, it might be over before Super Tuesday in a way. Uh, Although we will need the confirmation of Super Tuesday, obviously, before we can really call it. Thanks for listening. Um, If you, you can always leave a comment in the thread. The thread's Mm -hmm. been pretty dead. My phone's ringing and I'll edit that out eventually. (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh, yeah, or shoot us an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Nice. And uh, we will see you next time for another episode of Worst Wing. Bye. Bye. And I'll send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on 